Today's passage comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, where I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I can hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I called to God, and the, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good afternoon, Revive. I'm glad to be here with you today. It's good, actually. Yeah, I've known Pastor Susong for a long time, for like 12 years, because I have to tell you this because this never happens to me, but uh, our, our kids have been in school together since kindergarten. And, uh, you know, as a pastor going to a public school, you never think you're going to meet another pastor there. But I remember my wife came home one day and said, hey, there's another pastor in this class. And, uh, and then finally Susong and I met, and uh, we've been friends ever since. And so it's a blessing to be here with you. And um, yeah, to help him out while he's on sabbatical. I'm glad he's taking a break. That's good. Uh, all right. Let me pray, and then we'll open up our time in the Word. Father God, I thank you for this afternoon. I thank you for those who are here and for those who are watching online and those who are watching later. Um, Father God, we pray that your Word will speak to us, God, that, um, that you will reach our hearts, not because of what I'm saying, but because your Spirit will just reach us where we're at, Father God. And so, Father, we ask that um, whatever we brought in here today, whatever we bring to this time of the message and of singing and crying out to you in prayer and worship, Father God, take those burdens from us today so that we can just be in connection with you. We're here because we need you. And so, Father God, we pray that you would be with us and fill us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Susong 
said a horrible thing that you should never say to a pastor, which is I could talk about anything. So, okay. So I am going to talk about what I want. I'm going to talk to you. Let's see if this works. Ah, it does. Let me click back. I'm going to talk to you about Listerine. Okay. <clears throat> so I don't know if you, you don't probably think about Listerine looking like this. This is the first Listerine bottle I've ever saw, which I remember this exact bottle was in my grandparents' apartment when I was growing up. My grandparents came from China and uh, I don't know, I guess they had this ancient bottle of Listerine. Now all Listerine's like purple or blue or something like that, right? But back then, it was just in this clear bottle glass, and it was just this horrible yellow-brown liquid, right? And it was always in my grandparents' apartment, and it was just my job not to break it, I think. Um, but I'm going to tell you about Listerine, because Listerine teaches us something that I think is important for us today in a, a world that's very divided, in a nation that's very divided, and a church that is extremely divided in the last few years. Uh, now, Listerine, when it was invented, uh, they didn't really know what to do with it. So when it was first invented in about 1879 by a guy named Jordan Lambert, uh, it was first used as a floor cleaner. Okay? It was a floor cleaner, and, and later he found out it was kind of useful for other things, so he used it as a foot cleaner, and then they started using it as a gen general antiseptic in surgeries, and finally it started being used by dentists during dental surgeries uh, to just clean out germs before they did surgery, right? But it wasn't doing very well in sales. So they created this whole thing, and they <laughs> people didn't want that smell on their floor, so uh, he... His son, named Gerard, he had an idea. He was like, uh, what if we try to just totally focus on one area of sales? Let's focus on the mouth and on the dental part. And so he tried to sell it. But you know what? Nobody wants to put a floor cleaner in their mouth, right? Uh, but he was like, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this happen. And so he decided to in invent something, okay? something that you probably all know what it is. And what he invented was something called halitosis. Okay, have you heard of halitosis? Your dentist probably tells you that you have it uh, because he's stuck opening, smelling your open mouth all the time. But halitosis, Gerard Lambert created, was just a Latin word for unpleasant breath. That's it. We are told today that halitosis is like this medical condition and you have halitosis and you need to use one of those tongue scrapers, you know, and your dentist always wants to give you that or give you a mouthwash or something like that. But halitosis has nothing to do with anything medical. This guy just made it up. But what he did was magical because he started this whole advertising campaign about Edna. This is Edna. Edna has halitosis. Right? It says up in the corner, don't fool yourself. Since halitosis never announces itself to the victim, you simply cannot know when you have it. That's what he said. Edna has halitosis, but she doesn't know it. And it says on the bottom, halitosis makes you unpopular. And you can see Edna here because she has bad breath. She doesn't ever get the guy. And there was a whole campaign of pictures of poor Edna missing out on the guy every time. And guess what? It worked. Because a hundred years later, we're still using Listerine, and we still believe in halitosis, and dentists hate to hear 
that halitosis isn't real because they really want you to go to the dentist and buy this tongue scraper, right? But halitosis isn't real. And today in advertising history, this is still well known as one of the most amazing advertising campaigns in history. Why? It's called the halitosis appeal because what it means is if you use fear, if you use fear, you can get anybody to buy anything. You can even get them to take floor cleaner and put it in their mouth every day because they are afraid to have bad breath. Now, if there's any dentist in here, I just want to be clear. He didn't invent bad breath. People had bad breath before. What he invented was the fear of bad breath. Because before that, the idea that I have bad breath and I have to do something about it did not exist almost in the history of mankind, except maybe in Japanese people who eat sushi and then they give you the shiso leaf. If you eat that shiso leaf, it's not just for garnish. It, it's like, will cleanse your breath, right? But other than that, in the history of mankind, nobody cared about bad breath before. Because if you have bad breath and everybody else has bad breath, nobody has bad breath, so nobody cared. But once this idea of halitosis came into the world, everyone was worried about bad breath. I bet you you are all checking your breath right now, right? Uh, Fear. This is what I want to talk about today because fear is such an interesting thing to me. And in the last few years, it has become, I don't know, it's an obsession for me because more and more we have seen fear being used to manipulate us and make us move and do things because the same thing that Gerard Lambert discovered in 1920, if you make people afraid, you can get them to do almost anything. And we've seen that. Now this uh, modern theologian that I really like named Sky Jatani, he has this thing, he wrote this diagram called the fear evangelicals. Because one of the things that worries me most about fear is when fear gets used in the church. And fear does get used in the church all the time. I'm gonna tell you as a pastor, it is the greatest temptation for me all the time to use fear to get people at my church to do something. Because if I tell them, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and he wants you to live your life like this, they may or may not be obedient to that thing. If I tell them, if you don't do this, this horrible thing's going to happen to you, they're very likely to do what I say. And as a human being, I like that. I like that as a pastor. I want the people at my church to do what I say because it's, I'm following Jesus and what the Bible says and I want them to do good things. Sometimes I'm tempted to use fear. And in the church today, fear has been used probably over the last 50 years to help build the church. And, um, and so Sky Jatani points out this whole idea of the fear evangelicals, that in the evangelical church, we have a horrible habit of using fear to get people to do things. And here's what he says fear looks like, if you could see this. Okay, so on the left side, he says, people all have fear. We all experience fear, no matter what. That is just a part of our human existence that we're going to have fear. And there's two ways that we're often taught in church to deal with fear. On the left side, he says, there's the way of the pious path. Uh, and, he, and he says, it's flight. Okay, so the idea is if you're afraid of something, run away from it. So he says, flee your enemies. We're looking on the left side going down. He says, seek only homogeneous community, which is simple. If you only hang out with people like you, 
then there's probably nothing to fear. You're not going to run into anything weird, right? So the more people you hang out with that are just like you, same socioeconomically, same in their education level, same in their culture and their uh, different values, then that's going to be the easiest thing, okay? That's part of running away from things that make us afraid. If I'm with people who are all like me, that's the best. It's easy, okay? The other thing he says is when we hit this pious path and we flee... We exclude any nonconformity. Like, we don't want to see anybody not be like us. So we control people and we kind of tell people, you need to look like me if you want to hang out with me. And uh, in the same way, he says, we create safe replicas of popular culture, which is why we have like Christian rap, because we don't want our kids to listen to real rap probably really don't want our kids to listen to real rap, but we make Christian rap and it's safe. Or we don't want to hear uh, in the 60s, they were really against rock and roll of any kind. And so in the 80s, they created Christian rock and roll. And it's okay uh, because it, it sounds the same and it uses the same instruments, but it's safe. It's just a Christian version of the same thing. Uh, or you can say, I'm going to move to Colorado Springs where all the Christians live, right? Uh, because... I'm going to create a world for myself, but everybody is just like me in this place. And so that's one way that we kind of deal with fear. The other way, he says, is the fight way, which we've seen more lately. He says, uh, in, the, in the fight way, which is the political path, you attack your enemies. Anything that's not like you, you attack. Uh, you dehumanize non-Christians. So if someone's not like you or doesn't believe like you, you just say horrible things about them to make them seem not human. You compromise morality for power. Um, you say, hey, we want, we want power, and so it doesn't matter how we get it. And then we weaponize scripture. We just use scripture the way we want it and just pick out the verses that say what we want to, and we reject the Sermon on the Mount. We kind of say, you know, I do believe when Jesus said the Sermon on the Mount, he meant it and it was important, but right now, I'm not going to follow turning the other cheek different things like that. And, and what he points out, which is interesting, is what we're fighting for in these ways of, fight, of flight and fight is, that, is not for faith. Even though we often say we're doing it for faith, we're doing it mostly for control, right? Do you feel that? That when I'm afraid, what I want the most is control of things. I want to know what the outcome is going to be at all times. And most of the time when I'm afraid, it's because I don't really know how this thing's going to go, right? Which we feel a lot in the United States today. Like we don't really know where this war in Ukraine is going to go, or we don't know where inflation is going to go, or we don't know where politics is going to go or anything, right? What we yearn for in our humanness and our sinful nature is control. But what he says on the bottom, if you can see that, it says control is actually the opposite of faith, right? Like faith is, is believing in what you can't see. And so why would we always try to control everything as a response to our fear? He says there's always going to be a better way. And what we're going to look at today is what the Bible says is the way that we're to respond to fear. Because there are almost a thousand different times in the Bible where it says, don't be afraid. It is the most often repeated phrase in the entire word of God is do not be afraid. And yet, how can we control that? I'm afraid 
all the time. I worry and have anxiety about my kids, about my wife, about my marriage, my church, my job, whether I can drive well, you know, and not get hit by another person. I don't think the Bible says you're never going to have fear. But he does say, don't be afraid. And as we look at Psalm 55, which is just one of about 40 different psalms that have the same kind of structure that we're going to look at today, uh, I want to show you that God does have a way for us to manage the fear that we go through. And, um, and it's never, ever to use fear to manipulate us. So let's begin. He's, this psalmist writes, He says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. Isn't that the definition of fear? I bet you we've all felt something like that at some time in our lives. Just felt like, God, are you listening to me? To cry out to God and say, give ear to my prayer, God. I've been praying and praying and praying. And I'm really not sure you're listening because I'm still afraid. He says, don't hide from me. Attend to me. Answer me. You can see the heart of what he's asking God for. And all of us have been there at some point in our life, just saying, God, uh, horror overwhelms me. Every outcome I see from this is all bad. That's what a horror movie is, right? You just don't ever think that anything good's coming around the corner, because it's not. And the psalmist, David writes, horror overwhelms me. There's not a corner I can see where there's anything good. And like all of us, David has this kind of similar control vibe that he brings to this fear that he's having. He continues in verse 6. He says, I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. See, David's no different from us. He wants control too. His first reaction is flight. His first reaction is, get me out of here, God. Like, I wish I had wings and I could just fly away from this whole troublesome situation I'm in. Uh, We can see later in the psalm, he's being betrayed by a close friend. And he says, I just want to get out of it, God. And we often want to do that, don't we? We just want to get out of it and be in a safe place and say, God, isn't it your job to make sure that I don't ever feel fear? And isn't it your job to make sure that I feel in control of everything? Uh, That's a good question. We'll have to deal with that later. I'll tell you that it's not. Uh, His second reaction is the fight reaction. It gets really dark, really fast. Verse 9, he says, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. He says, destroy my enemies. Everything that's giving me cause for fear and anxiety, just destroy it. Cut their tongues out, he says. 
because I see violence and strife in the city anyway. So day and night they go around it on its walls and iniquity and trouble are within it. They're causing all this trouble in your city, God. Just get rid of them. Um, I love David. He's so much like us, right? He wants control too. So the problem with fear I see when it comes to church is that when we can't get control, it starts to do bad stuff to us, right? If I am trying to flee and try to make sure everyone's like me, then sometimes I feel afraid to bring my real troubles to church. And that's a weird thing because church should be the place and my church family should be the place, the first place I should be able to bring the hardest things that are happening in my life. Uh, for many years, I've been working on bringing a, a pastor's network to the peninsula, and I started working with a team a few years ago of pastors from all different churches. There are African-American churches, Asian churches, Caucasian churches, Joel King from this church is in that group. And uh, we started putting together this thing called Hope 101, just uh, a pastor's network up and down the 101 freeway from Redwood City all the way down to Cupertino. We'd been working on it for a year, meeting every month and talking about how to have these gatherings with pastors and create networks with pastors. And uh, the thing is, we met all the time, we had lunch, we talked for two hours and planned this thing. But after a year, 12 times meeting these guys, I didn't know any of them at all. Like, are you married? Do you have kids? Is there anything? We hardly knew anybody, any, anybody in that group because we were always just talking business. It was really odd to me, actually. I just felt like, man, after a year of seeing your face, I should know like anything about you. Were you born in the Bay Area? I don't know, right? And then one day, one year into it, I was sitting next to this one pastor. And this dude is like 6'2". His body looks like a Greek god statue. He's a beautiful man, right? I try never to sit next to him in pictures. Okay, so like all of a sudden in the middle of this meeting planning, he's like, guys, I need to tell you something. And it got really quiet and really serious super fast because you could just hear that voice, right? Like something's going to come out and it's going to be bad. But he was like, I can't pick up my three-year-old daughter. For the last year, I've been having this wasting disease in my body, and I have no strength in my entire body. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And it was so weird to see this guy, <laughs> the Hulk, say to us, I can't pick up a 50-pound girl. I can't carry my daughter. And we all just looked at him. We're like, I'm so sorry this is happening. And we prayed for him. But something weird happened after that. Um, right after that, another pastor who's really famous in the Bay Area because he's adopted two kids and uh, has led a movement of adopting foster kids in, in Santa Clara County. He said, I need to tell you all something. One of the kids we adopted, we can't handle him. And I think we're going to have to give him up. This is kind of like our last chance, or else the social worker is going to take him away. And he said, I can't tell my church about this. And then one after one, every single pastor in that meeting started telling all these other pastors 
all these things that they can't tell anybody else. My heart was broken. One said, no matter what I do, I get criticized for every single sermon I give. And another one said, I, I think I'm going to get fired from my church because no matter what I do, I can't make it grow. And all these pastors, we're supposed to lead you, right? We're basically saying, I can't tell my church family about me. And it happens because of fear, right? And it happens because of control. Like we're kind of in this fight or flight mentality. And I bet you, you feel that way sometimes, right? Like I'm going through things and I can't tell these people that I love and who love me because I need to look a certain way. I need to keep it together. I always joke with my congregation because I always say, I see you fighting in the car in the parking lot. But then when you get to the, to the sanctuary, you're holding hands. I was like, you're not fooling anybody. We can all see you fighting. So just bring it. We love you. We want to care for you. What are you afraid of? What we're afraid of all the time. And you're not alone if it's you. Pastors feel it too. We're so alone sometimes in church because we're so trying to keep control of the way we look. But revive, I'm here to bring you some good news. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's why I'm so obsessed by fear. This is not what God called us to. This is not who we're supposed to be. When we are the family of God, there's so much more for us. And David in this psalm, he unlocks for us what we're supposed to do. We'll skip to verse 16. I call to God, David says, and the Lord will save me. The Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And guess what? He hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change, and do not fear God. Cast your burden on the Lord. Here's the advice portion. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. These are beautiful words. Because he doesn't say, I'm never going to feel afraid again. And he never says, God eradicated all the problems that I have. But he did say, I call to God and the Lord will save me. And even though 24-7 he says, I complain and moan, God hears me. I'm never alone in this fear. I am never alone. And he redeems my soul in safety. No matter how much the fear is eating away at you and can destroy you and make you bitter, he says, God redeems my soul. Even though I have to keep fighting this battle, he says in verse 18. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's not the answer to all our problems, but it's kind of the answer to a problem. Which is, when we're feeling fear, which we always will, uh, God's with us. And with so much confidence, David writes here at the end of this psalm, that's why I like Psalm 55 so much, 
He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He'll never permit the righteous to be moved. So we learn something from this. That our job isn't to live without fear. That's the worst message that a church can give you. And that's the message that pastors who want to manipulate you with fear will use all the time. That you shouldn't feel fear if you're a faithful person, but actually... There is a beautiful in-between that we're called to live as the people of God. It is this tension that we have to get used to. But we don't like tension, right? But actually, what the psalmist is describing is living in a tension, a place where they're always a little bit in fear. They're always experiencing the fear. But they're also living amazing faith, knowing that in the fear that they're experiencing, God is totally there. He never leaves you. He is constantly there. He's not removing the fear. He's just there. He's letting you cry out. He's not taking away your reasons to cry out, but he's listening to you. And he hears your every complaint and every moan. It's hard to imagine that that's more beautiful (laughs) than just having no fear. But I want to tell you, it is. Because here's what I want you to know. Okay? Okay? which is God's job isn't to save you from fear. It's fear's job to save you from a life without God. What I've learned to love about fear these days as I'm getting older and as my kids get older, which gives me more fear, <laughs> then, is that, man, if I let fear do its job and do what it's going to do, it drives me towards God all the time. It reminds me how much I need Jesus all the time. And it reminds me how inadequate I am on my own to control anything in my life, no matter how hard I try. But that's the beauty of it. Don't let anyone ever tell you that it's God's job to save you from fear. Fear is beautiful. And living in the in-between is something that keeps me moving closer and closer to God all the time. And if I constantly try to run from it, or ask God to destroy fear for me, I'm running away from the one thing in my life that consistently moves me closer to him. Are you ready to live in the in-between? That's the question I have for you. Because the media, advertising, politicians, your parents will always try to use fear to move you. It's the cheapest way to get a reaction. Yeah? But God wants you to learn how to live with the tension of the in-between. To move you, no matter how stubborn you are, closer and closer to him. Deeper and deeper into needing Jesus all the time. Because when we're afraid, like David, we pray. When we trust that God hears us and knows us and loves us for who we are despite our anxieties, we grow closer to him and we trust in that love that God has for us even more. So you guys are very Presbyterian, so I brought you a John Calvin quote. Oh, Uh, John Calvin used to say what faith was like is like walking in a dark field in a lightning storm, right? Let's see, did it get the whole thing? 
<clears throat> Here's what he said. He said, faith following God is like a traveler passing through a field at night who in a momentary lightning flash sees far and wide, but the sight vanishes so swiftly that he's plunged again into the darkness of the night before he can take even a step, let alone be directed on his way by its help. What does that mean? You're walking in pitch black dark. And the only time you ever get to see where you are is that moment when the lightning flashes. That's like the most dangerous moment to be out in the middle of a field is when the lightning comes, but that's also your salvation, right? Because that's your chance to see where you're going just for that moment. He says, you don't even have time to take a step before it's dark again. But he said, this is what faith is like. That just once, every once in a while, boom, God lets you see this is where you're going. And you move and you go that way because you know that's the best way to go. But then you're in darkness again. This is not a description of someone who doesn't have fear, right? That's not how Calvin looked at his life. He didn't look at the life of the believer as somebody who didn't have fear. He said, you are plunged in darkness, but God will never leave you. He will always provide you one lightning flash and say, go this way. And if you're faithful, you go that way and you'll be going in the right direction. That's the tension of the in-between. And I tell you, in these days of great anxiety in our country and great anxiety in our lives, we need to learn how to live with that tension because it's that tension that moves us closer and closer to God. And ultimately, that's where we want to be right? That's where we want to be. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will help you to live in that tension, and um, we'll see what God does with you. Let's pray. Father God, we live in fearful times. There's no denying that it's scary. It's scary if you're uh, young, and it's scary if you're older, It's scary if you have money, and it's scary if you don't. Father God, the one thing we're promised constantly, something that was cemented into history and our hearts through the death of Jesus Christ, is that you love us. You're with us. You've never left us. And it's not that we don't have to have fear, God. It's that we don't have to be paralyzed by it because we have you. And yet, Father God, we live in this world where so many, we live in this valley where so many people don't know you at all. And they're living with that fear and nowhere to go with it. Father God, I pray that you will help us to get our footing as your followers and then help us to lead the people in our lives who don't know you. Help to lead them towards faith. But first, help us get our footing, God. Help us to learn to live with that tension in our lives and move ever closer and closer to you. We thank you because uh, we trust your promises for this. And you're enough for us, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.